Marketers ruin everything. Welcome to the Everything is Marketing Podcast. What I don't want to do is to pretend this is show number one. What would the hero of your life's movie do right now? Do that. Do those things. It is the Everything is Marketing Podcast. My name is Eric Hulkerin, and uh, we're apparently going to make a habit of every 160 episodes. We'll go back to the Stocky Exchange and bring back John Stocky, who has joined us. Uh, you're back in Grand Rapids, and every time you're in Grand Rapids, want to sit down and talk a little bit about your bread and butter, the travel industry, hospitality, hotels, those sorts of things. Um, and I, I know you're, uh, you're running around town with your own videographer, which mm-hmm. is pretty dope. Yeah, you're rolling. Yeah, I see him right now. Um, but want to talk about as I, I just came from Mackinac, as you know, like oh yeah, we can talk about that too. Yeah, guys. but like this this industry is some of them are doing it really really well, and some of them are not doing it really really well. And and I I feel like from an outsider, somebody who's not doing mm-hmm. it on the inside like you are, that there seems to be a lot of time worried about what Airbnb is doing as opposed to doing what you do best in order to, you know, it's that old Seth Godinism, right? Mm-hmm. When you used to hire a professional photographer to take your wedding photos. Now everyone takes photos on an iPhone, but there are still people paying for professional photography because there is a time and place for all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it feels very similar in that area of a disruption. Do you agree with that? or It's huge. I mean, everyone thinks just because you can try to get something done for cheaper, it might be easier or better. And it's that the old three rings that match together, which is like speed, quality, and price. And to try to find that trifecta in the center is impossible. Right. You either get something cheap and good or cheap and fast or good and you can't get all three at the same right. time. For sure. So like you're, you're talking about going to the, the Grand Hotel, the, the concept of people who are managing expectations and over-delivering are the people who win. And it's not... The same thing as under-promise, over-deliver, but managing expectations is the number one most important part of that. Yeah, and... and the quality is subjective. And it was interesting because I was up there with somebody who had never been there before, right? And they were they were asking me at lunch. They were like, well, I think it's weird that you're not allowed to tip. I go, but there's a very specific marketing reason for that. And mm-hmm. she was like, well, I don't know that I follow you. I go, if I were to stay at your house, would I tip you? Said, well, mm-hmm. no. I go... That's what we're doing, right? Exactly. They want you to feel like it's your hotel for the time that you're staying there. And in order to do that, you don't need to tip everybody to get stuff done because I wouldn't tip you. If I came to John Stocky's house for dinner, I wouldn't tip you. You might. I mean, I'm Well, I mean, good you, cook. you are pretty Just badass, <laughs> but like in general, I wouldn't tip people. Exactly. And, and that's a very specific thing that they're doing. And not a lot of places do that. That's no, sort of they, attention they to they, detail. They, sometimes they have this mix of, the customer's always right mentality. So they let the customer curate that experience instead of saying, here's what we offer. This is why we like to do it like this. This is, and then there's that variance of the customer's not always right. And there's a big surge now of, of a lot of people offering hospitality experience, especially in restaurants are like, whatever, we don't put salt and pepper on the table because we feel that the way we prepare it is the way that we want it done. Right. Chefs are very notorious for that. This is how it's cooked. This is how I sure. prepare it. This is how I want it. Now, you can do that, but you have to realize that you are going to maybe make some people angry, and the quality has to stand up. Not everyone has the luxury of just saying, I can do whatever the hell I want. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> and, it's, and it's, get away with it with a market that will accept it. It's part of what you're doing today, right? You've, you've mm-hmm. got people following you around. You're kind of showing your entrepreneurial mm-hmm. chops and what you do, and, and there is this 
this zeitgeist feeling around the word, the two words really, entrepreneurship and hustle. And I would say like 80 or 85% of the people that are using either of those words or both of them together are are not doing either, right? Because you can say that you're an entrepreneur, you say that you're hustling because it feels like the in thing to do. You can say that you're a restaurant Mm -hmm. that doesn't have salt and pepper on the table, but you, to your point, you have to be able to do two things. I'm going to add a little bit of nuance. One, you have to be willing to fire the customer. There are going to be customers that will not go yeah. to that place, that like to eat at places where and they can. And you need to be okay with that. And you like, need to absolutely be okay with it. It was what I was. That's the number one thing you have to be okay sure. with. Sure. And I was talking about it this morning <laughs> on Snapchat when you look at this Adidas Kanye West agreement, right? They've grown mm-hmm. their partnership. And I was wondering one of the things that made the Kanye West Adidas partnership so sexy was the scarcity. And if you make it so that you and I and everybody mm-hmm. in this room gets to buy Kanye West sneakers, are they still as cool? I mean, scarcity has been the. the since the beginning of time, secret societies like the unknown, the, the non-access to everything is what makes certain things more valuable and not. Scarcity is, is key. With marketing, same thing. If people can only get a certain experience, certain restaurants only have 10 tables. So sure. you have to wait maybe 6, 12, and one, one year to get a reservation. So it might not be the best food in the world, but it's part of the experience that they're selling. And not everyone can get away with that. A lot of people think like, how can Gordon Ramsay just be a prick all the time? And just get away with it. Well, well, number one, he's got awesome food. He's a great restaurateur. He does it consistency. But the the persona you're seeing on TV is exactly that. It's a television persona. It, yeah, it's an it's, amped up version of what he does. Sells. You know. So he might be a prick in real life when it comes to running restaurants, but he's also a very smart businessman and realizes when is it time to sell TV shows and when is it time to actually make money in a restaurant. So, But this is the 1%. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing's given to anyone. No one gets the luxury of saying, well, I love to cook club sandwiches. All my friends say I really am good at cooking club sandwiches, so I'm going to open up a restaurant, the best club sandwich in the world. Well, if everyone around you who lives within 20 miles of you is allergic to eggs, you're not going to sell any club sandwiches, <laughs> right, my friend. Right. Nothing is guaranteed to you. And this is a huge part. A lot of hospitality providers, they have a great concept they think in their brain, but they don't realize that the market might not want what they're selling. They might have to move... 40 miles that way. They might have to move across the country for their products. So how you go in there and how do you tell them to figure that stuff out? Like how do you get them to read the tea leaves or look at the data before they make these decisions? Well, usually by the time they get to me, they've, they're feeling the pain in right. some way or the other, <laughs> right. which yeah. is the, the catalyst for them to say, I finally need to like take a humble pill and realize that maybe my club sandwich is not going to sell here because everyone's allergic to egg. Like sometimes you have to put that perspective into their face because they get very tunnel vision. They, they, think that what they have is the best a lot of their family and friends have been building them up saying they're great i'm the the blatantly rude honest friend that will tell you whether what you're doing is good or bad and take all emotion away from the situation see it from an analytical perspective see it from a business perspective see it from the consumer angle instead of well we want to have this this awesome club sandwich restaurant it doesn't matter if what you want. The market will dictate who wins and who does not win. Sure, Timing is hugely important. The market, your pricing, like there's so many other variables that are involved. Maybe 1% of the people in the world will be able to ever start a business because it's exactly what they want to do, how they want to do it. They don't take any excuses from anyone and they will succeed. It's a very small amount of people who get that. So let's take a step back real quick and talk a little bit about you and, mm-hmm. and perhaps how you got here. You know, because when you talk about the 1% of the 1%, like you're, you're doing this on your own. You're running your own deal, you know. So, A, how did you get here? So I'm trying. So I graduated here, Grand Rapids, went to Grand Valley a long time ago. As soon as I grew up. Go Lakers. Exactly. As soon as I <laughs> left Grand Valley, 
I had the opportunity to move to Australia. Uh, my aunt and uncle lived there, and they always said, well, one time in my life, they'll pay for a plane ticket for me to come over. And I just never um, had the opportunity during high school or college. I was too involved in sports and sure. other activities. So when I graduated, I applied to a bunch of jobs. I had no responsibility when I graduated college except student loan debt. That was it. I had nowhere to be. So I was like, perfect. Go to Australia on vacation. So I went there for a couple weeks, loved it, stayed, and then eventually got a job there for a year. My work visa ran out, and then I got a job um, moving with Kempinski Hotels. So luxury hotel group. I moved to the Middle East, to the UAE, just next to Dubai, and I lived there for three years. Transferred with that company then to China for a year after that and worked as the marketing, e-commerce, and public relations during my four and a half years there. Eventually moved back to the U.S., wanted to be closer to family and friends instead sure. of being a 40-hour plane ride home every time <laughs> I wanted right. to do something. Yes. Uh, and started doing some consulting for Choice Hotels. One of my professors from Grand Valley actually worked there and hooked me up with a, a job designing e-learning software and e-learning programs. Since I understood hospitality, understood marketing, putting together the learning programs was easy for me. It was so a natural let, fit. Let's stop right there just for a second. So you come over here. Was it always the plan to be out on your own, or did you come over here and then no. that just kind of happened? Yeah, I came over here and took six months of vacation to try to reacclimate to living back in the U.S., not living that expat lifestyle, going back into the big fishbowl of great white America. Sure. And then uh, applied. was searching for tons of jobs all over Michigan and marketing. Um, I think I, I definitely looked at MLive for even a job back then. And I just didn't find a good fit that I guess was me. And uh, then I started doing consulting stuff to make a little money on the side. And then I actually got a job at Traverse City Tourism, which is the CVB up there. Yep. Stayed there for a couple months, and that wasn't a good fit. So I left there and then was still doing the consulting stuff, and that was going pretty well. And I was making enough money to survive. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll try to make a go out of this. Started taking on kind of low-hanging marketing fruit, just kind of training and using my skills. Got involved with a bunch of other people, network, you know, build that network, go around, around, around. And then all of a sudden, about a year and a half ago, I said – all right, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I'm not, I'm sick of mac and cheese. I, I got to focus. And that's one of the biggest things I found with entrepreneurs. Like I wasn't focused. I was taking on things, saying yes, way too much, chasing after cash. Cause I knew cash was, was air. I needed it to, to survive. Right. But I wasn't focused. I was just taking anything that I needed to say cash. So instead of saying no and taking on a project, which could have paid me more money, I was so inundated with the day to day of trying to run after every little piece of business and put way too much effort in for what I was getting out of it. But right. I think that that then helped build my network of, you know, you did a good job, provided awesome value, and then you got experience and then eventually grew from there. So it's been four years now since I've started the company. Uh, I just got into public speaking about six or seven months ago, and that's going splendidly. Yeah, you've been doing a lot for being in yeah. it for only half a year. Just started doing it, reached out, same thing. I just contacted people and said, hey, I can do this. Did it a couple of times, and now every time I do one, I get booked. Someone else who saw me there calls in a week and says, hey, we'd like you to speak at this conference. And then it just, it's kind of continued to go from there. And from a marketing perspective, it's amazing. Right. right. It's people are paying to show me as an expert in my field. I get to talk, which then markets my brand. And so it either leads to more speaking gigs or it leads to consulting clients. Now, do you find, though, because you hear a lot from that, 
universe, right, where you go to the, mm-hmm. the keynote speaking universe, that you've got to have a, a widget. Do you feel compelled that you need a book at this point, or is the, is the consulting? No, I mean, this, we were just talking about this yesterday. Like, what is my plan as an entrepreneur? Does a book make sense? Uh, I, I started a little TV show last fall, and I'm looking at the possibility of continuing that, and I'm like, well, does literally in this age, in the next 24 months, to starting a TV show, to spending the next 12 months trying to create a TV show, create a concept, find sponsors, get it to a production company, get it to a, a TV station. Is it going, is that going to be the right medium in 24 months from now? Right. Well, probably, I mean, probably not. Does it, do I need to go through all the hassle of trying to find a big corporate sponsor to fund, you know, $10,000 worth of production per episode and all the time and effort that puts into it? Or what's the end goal? Like, I think if I can just keep doing this entrepreneur stuff, keep speaking, keep putting out valuable content, getting more consulting clients, I'm playing the long game. Right. The short term, the book, look, everyone can just go on some, go to LinkedIn. There's ghost writers and you can rewrite their book that they have 80% written. Talk to a ghost writer for a couple hours, pay him 500 bucks. And you're all of a sudden a published author. Right. But then there's also the people who actually write books, which have a ton of value to them. If I did something, it would have to be, what is the unique, why would people read this book other than just trying to be another generic business guru? Sure. Because I think that's kind of overplayed a lot. It does add value once you have a large enough network, because not everyone listens to podcasts. There still are people who read books, and that's fine. I, I don't know if it's, is it necessary for me to get published author after my signature and my email address? I don't know. I'm playing the game. Does this make the people who are booking public speakers? Is that enough for them to say, well, oh, he's an entrepreneur and he's a public speaker. He's a best-selling author. He's an, uh, uh, I don't sure. know, any other stupid right. awards featured in Forbes Inc. All these things are part of the game that I'm trying to figure out. Do I need to do them? And how much value are they going to do for the investment that I need to put in with them? Because you got to play the game. Right. right. That's it. It's not, I'm not the 1% that can just say whatever the hell I want to say, and I'm going to be magically a millionaire well, successful but, overnight. But, you know, there's, there's nuance to that, that they, they weren't the 1% at one point either. Exactly. Right? Like, like, like Gordon Ramsay didn't just magically get a TV show overnight and just start swearing at people. You know, they don't see the 20 years he put in hustling in restaurants right. under people over and over and over and over and over before he started his first restaurant and then... Got Michelin stars, all that, you so, know, like, all that stuff. This didn't happen overnight, but a lot of people just see him on TV and like, they don't see it in context. So you're using Facebook Live right now. Um, what other, <laughs> and giving it a thumbs mm-hmm. up, uh, you know, what other technologies are you into that you're seeing are kind of the, the future of not only your brand, but maybe the hospitality brand? I think, li- I mean, live streaming is, everyone's on it now. It's every other app is now, I think Twitter is starting to do it. Yep. They're going to start, uh, you could be watching, I think I listened to you, you can start watching football games now. Thursday, yeah, year. all the Thursday nights this year in this August. This is insane. Yeah. So, uh and just like your last podcast, we're talking about does TV for me make sense to try to make a TV show in 24 months? You're just going to be able to stream any channel you want and not have to have and I, 500 channels. I fully believe that that's going to happen. It's and I, you know, and I think Why if, not? if the Twitter experiment works mm-hmm. and people use not only the first screen to tweet about live events, but they're now consuming it on whatever that yeah. interface looks like. I, I feel that Twitter with its 900 peripheral apps needs to put them all into Twitter. Yeah. Like Periscope needs to be in Twitter. Yeah, could you and, imagine like, just like on your cell phone yeah. watching the football game and then right below you can have a search for a hashtag running and you can just be commenting and interacting with people while the game is on like this is going to be reality. Yeah, one, and then as that evolves into VR and augmented reality and mixed reality and all of that stuff, 
it becomes a really interesting oh, yeah. play. And that you know that might be the thing where we all want to get back onto TV, right? Exactly. If we're doing VR, okay, maybe that's when we want exactly. to be on a bigger screen. So for me, technology-wise, I'm not the, I'm not a good like you. You're great at Snapchat. You talk. I, I can't do that. I'm not a sit in my office by myself, look at my phone and go and just like try to talk about, I need this, what we're doing. I need the interaction. The face-to-face. The, so what, so banter. what do you, so let's, let's end with this. Like, what do you do to get that in your day to day? If you're, you know, you're a solopreneur, right? You're doing it yourself. So what do you do to get that? If you need that, I got to set up meetings and with people in other places, contacting my entrepreneur friends all the time to say, Hey, let's have a beer and let me rant about this subject and rant about that. And I got a core group of people that I can just call and be like, Hey, I need 15 minutes of your time to, you know, have a spaghetti meeting. I call them spaghetti right. meetings. Just throw stuff at the wall and see whatever sticks. Sure. And before I came down here and started doing those two days of videoing, I did this with a couple of people. And, and I had a huge list of questions here that I'm going to be ranting and talking about. What's my mantra as a speaker, an entrepreneur, talker, whatever the hell people want to call me? What, what focus do I have? And I need that because when you're a solopreneur, you got to make all the decisions yourself. And everyone needs a sounding board. So I'm focusing on what I'm good at is the banter, the, the arguing, the debate. I love debate. I wish my high school was big enough back in the day to have, have a debate, debate yeah. We didn't have that. We barely had like sports teams, let alone debate teams. But I love arguing and debating and, and hope, hopefully trying to make people see the other side of a picture. And that's where my crazy brain works in consulting and experience consulting is I walk into a restaurant and people see the 50 good things that they experience my eyes immediately go to the 10 things that are wrong or could be better sure. or need to be improved, which would help them gain a larger market or bigger audience or make their customers remember this little thing better or that thing better and help them share the message or spread the message. Word of mouth is most important. If you can just make the customers who are in your place happier and have them want to share their experience with others, you spend way less money on advertisements or any of the other bullcrap that you're trying to convince people to come and buy your product. You don't convince people anymore. You you motivate people. You or advocate you, them. That's all you have to do. We're, I mean, it's we're going back to that. We had to advertise forever. Now we're going back like, hey, we should probably pay attention to the people who are actually buying our product now. John Stocky joining us. John, if people want to reach out to you, what's your preferred methodology? Um, Facebook's great. Um, I only have a personal page now, but the company page or just email is the best. So John at Stocky Exchange, S-T-O-C-K-I, exchange.com. Um, I live on my phone. Awesome. I need to actually have a, <laughs> have a little better break from emailing and stuff like that. But Well, dude, have, have fun with this today, and thanks cool. for stopping by. Appreciate it, man.